Welcome to Bass Edge Radio, accessible from iTunes and, of course, from BassEdge.com. Bass Edge Radio continuing to be the hottest place for bass fishing information relayed to you from the world's best bass anglers. You are Bass Edge Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, Bass Edge Radio is presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Guard your boat against grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps. Visit them at keelguard.com. Aaron, we're smack dab in the middle of prime time season for bass fishing. We've got a special guest for our first angler in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. We also have some big news and, importantly, big fish to discuss. I've seen those pics on Facebook, and I need to hear your secrets, buddy. Have you been holding out on us? Ah, now, Kurt, you know, better than that, as always, we do have some educational information about some big bass tactics that I will be happy to pass along here in a few minutes, but we also have a great show ahead. Listeners, be sure to stay in tune with the latest Bass Edge information through our Facebook page, Twitter handle, and of course, BassEdge.com. We will be right back. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You are listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios, high above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Aaron, as we alluded to in the intro, you placed some monster photos of some fish on our Facebook page. And last month, those came from a uh, BFL event that you fished over there at, at your home lake, Table Rock Lake, finishing top five. I think you finished third place. But, man, you had four gigantic fish. Give me some insight. Give the listeners some insight on how you were able to set up such a great performance in that BFL on Table Rock. Uh, Kurt, I'd be happy to. And, you know, I just want to point out kind of for the record that that's a day that I could have easily have blanked just as easily as what I came in with what I did. And the reason being is, uh, you know, the BFL series, that was really the only tournament that I was going to be able to fish. was very excited because it was on my home lake. So I just said, you know what, I'm going for broke. Points won't do me any good at the end of the year. So I want to see what I can put together. And as like most of us, my schedule did not allow me to practice or pre-fish on the days I like practicing earlier in the week. So I had to basically postpone that until later in the week. Thursday, I went out, was able to get on 14, 15 pounds enough to where I just I knew that wasn't even going to be close to what it was going to take to win the tournament and so I just kind of abandoned that and Friday went out and essentially bent my hooks over were allowed to throw an Alabama rig in that tournament I tied on some monster swim baits big seven inch swim baits and got set up and I had one really really good bite so I just kind of reeled my rod in strapped down my rods and left and that's kind of how it came about how much did those four bass weigh the four bass that I actually weighed 
weighed and successfully boated were 22 pounds, 10 ounces. Um, Unreal. I had a, yeah, it, it, it really was. It was a dream day on the water. The first bass that I caught was 8 pounds, 11 ounces. The second cast was 8 pounds, 6 ounces. My third cast, which I actually lost the fish, <laughs> I called it a 6-pounder. My co-angler said I was hallucinating because he said it was a triplet to the ones that I already put in. <laughs> but uh, essentially, that's a pre-spawn. I'm, I'm a big believer in fishing for staging fish. High concentrations, much like we've heard echoed throughout the halls of Bass Edge on all of these interviews. I want those high concentrations. I believe the bigger fish are adjacent to deeper water. Essentially, I found that place in practice. It's an area that's adjacent to a spawning pocket that drops off on the end of a bluff end. It's on a point. It has standing timber. The difference is that most people will move in and fish that point shallow, the exposed timber. What I did, my boat was actually setting in 100 feet of water, and there was trees that stepped down off of these ledges. I did about a 16 to a 17 countdown and then just painfully, painfully cranked that reel so slow. Those fish were hovering or suspending. The trees topped out at about 40 to 42 feet, and they were hanging right in the tops of those, and those big females were coming up out of those treetops to hit that bait, and I was using a big bait to try and catch big fish, and like I said, it worked. But the difference was I knew I was prone to losing fish, and the worst thing about that tournament, even though I'm extremely happy, was that I had the winning fish on because, one, it was 2214 and I had 2210 with four, but I had the winning fifth fish on three different times. However, it's important, mm. and you know this from fishing on Amistad and the various lakes that you fish. Right. You know, fishing that through the trees and so deep, when a bass comes up and if they miss it the first time, of which they were doing, they lose their momentum. So when they come back to eat that bait, essentially all their momentum's gone. And plus, I'm so deep trying to drive that hook through the side of their mouth. Hook sets are at a premium. Well, awesome showing there. Obviously, you know, great sack. You know, I appreciate you sharing with all of us and the, and the listeners how those fish were set up because that's important that time of year and, and this time of year. You know, late March into early April, you know, we had snow a couple weeks ago all through the Midwest and super cold temps. It seems like winter's just dragging on. So uh, a lot of these pre-spawn tactics are still going to be in place here as we go through the early part of April before those fish really get up onto the spawning beds. Well, absolutely, Kurt. And, and one final thing, you know, I'm a big believer in the major and minor feeding or the or the moon phases and I did time that to where I was there about five minutes before the major actually occurred after tournament hours so I timed it according to the minor but all that took place in about 23 minutes so that's the thing that to be important you know when you get a school fired up that competitive nature of bass man stay on them be prepared get back in there as quickly as what you can but you know what enough of me I understand that you had a little adventure down on your first elite at uh, the Sabine River started off day one, I think, in 27th place stepped it up and, and came from there. Yeah, it was an exciting event. Of course, you know, there's not a lot of people that have fished tournaments on the Sabine, except for the locals down there in Orange, Texas. You know, the cool thing about that event is the venue was so different. A lot of Bass Edge Nation gets out there and is able to fish these little rivers, and, and it was really kind of like a reality check sometimes for the Elite Series pros, because it was all of a sudden, you know, we weren't fishing lakes that had 25 or 
30-pound sacks or even 18 or 20-pound sacks for that matter. It was a really neat event. And um, let me let me just say real quick, again, you know, the whole country has kind of been behind on the fish behaviors this spring because of the late winter drag on here. And when we were there and launched our boats, water temps were in the high 50s to low 60s. And those fish really started getting up on the beds and, and really started spawning. And this particular area is filled with cypress knees everywhere. So what I did to be successful in that event was really slow down, which is critical in the springtime to fish slow, pick pieces of cover apart. And uh, those fish were spawning on those cypress knees. Three of us were fishing this one backwater area, Casey Ashley, Marty Robinson, and myself. And if you had asked us once we saw everybody in there the first morning of the event that, that we would have caught that many keepers out of the place when it was so tough to get bit anyway, we all would have said no way. But uh, we all fished really slow. Evidently, we all cashed checks, which was great. Certainly, I was glad to cash a check again in my first event back. We kind of ended up running out of fish at the end of the tournament, but overall, it was a fun event and really enjoyed catching those fish on those cypress knees and, and really slowing down. And one more critical thing was the size of bait. All of us were using a pretty small bait to uh, entice those fish. So think about that, too, as, as Bass Edge Nation starts to hit the water in those spring spawning events these couple weeks coming up. Well, you know, Kurt, the funny thing is I can remember talking to you. I Actually, I was on the water. You were, I think, getting ready for that event. You kind of gave me some statistics. You're like, I'm 90% sure that if you weigh in, you know, nine keepers, I, th- I, I just want to say I'm making this up, but, you know, that you're going to cash a check. I'm 85% sure that if you only weigh in eight, but that you're going to cash a check. But that just kind of is a testament to the difficulty in fishing. And it, it's important to put that in perspective mentally so that you can prepare yourself and keep it relative to the conditions and the area that you're fishing. Yeah, you're exactly right. There are times when you're going to go out and catch 25 or 30 fish in a day, but let's face it, you know, bass fishing sometimes is a grind and probably more often is a grind than it is you go out and catch those, you know, days where you catch 20 or 30 fish. So so you're exactly right. Having the uh, right expectations for the conditions or for the particular lake or place that you're fishing is, is critical to success because you want to keep it high space and keep yourself mentally motivated to keep on keeping on. I tell you what, we're about ready to get into our special angler spotlight interview from Lucas Oil, and we're going to get Cliff Pace, the Bassmasters Classic champion, on the line. Stay tuned. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. More Bass Edge in 30 seconds. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and Marine Products. Visit lucasoil.com. Bass Edge 
Lakers, as we mentioned previously, we've got a special guest for you today. In our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, we pinned down an angler I think you'll continue to hear a ton about in bass fishing for many years to come, your 2013 Bassmaster Classic champion, Cliff Pace. Cliff, welcome to Bass Edge. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, Cliff, it is so great to have you on Bass Edge Radio. And after learning more about you through your win at the Classic, I picked up an interesting point you made in an interview. You had mentioned early on in your fishing abilities that you had struggled with colder water, early spring events, and then you kind of made a considerable effort to overcome that weakness. Can you provide us with three or four major lessons you've learned in trying to locate pre-spawn fish? Well, I did struggle with it a tremendous amount whenever I finally began my career fishing uh, the Elite Series. You know, and the reason why is I'm from South Mississippi, and those are conditions we just don't face a tremendous amount. Some of the things I've learned that just have just came with time, but as far as two or three things that I really would recommend to someone that's kind of unfamiliar with it is downsizing your bait is really key that time of the year, and fishing high percentage areas very effectively is probably the biggest key I could give anyone. You know, those cold fish, that cold water environment, they're kind of lethargic and are not really aggressive, and if you're from down south like me, you're not used to fishing for fish that aren't willing to move a great distance to get a bait. But in that cold water, the strike zone really shrinks. And for me to be successful in that, and it's basically the approach I took at the Classic, you really need to pick some really high percentage areas and uh, spend more time fishing less areas versus spending more time fishing more areas. You know, you got to slow down and use high percentage baits. I'm really blessed to have been able to travel like I have over the last several years to work on those things. And that's really just what it takes. You have to build a comfort zone. It sounds like you've got a couple of baits that, that you really tend to try and key on when you're locating these pre-spawn fish. I think it's a great, interesting topic about you talking about really dialing in on an area and then picking it apart. What kind of lures do you like to employ when you're looking at targeting these locations? Well, you know, in really cold water situations, there's really three main lures that come into play for me, and that's going to be, first of all, a jig. You know, a jig's an effective bait all throughout the year, but there's something about it when the water's cold. You can fish it really slow, and you can be very effective with it. A crankbait will be my next choice. It gives you the ability to cover a little more water, but you need to realize when you're throwing a crankbait in that really cold water is you don't need to span your cast out so far. A lot of people are used to cranking a place and making three or four or five casts on it, and if they don't get a bite, they move on to the next location. And that's you can do that when the water's warm and the fish are more aggressive, but you have to keep in mind in that cold water, the strike zone sometimes is only one or two feet. So when I'm cranking in, in those cold water situations, are fishing a jig, I'm making casts that are very close to the previous cast I just made, trying to cover the bottom as close to a grid pattern I guess you could reference to as I can. And then the third bait may be going into situations where you have suspended fish would be a suspending jerk bait. And it's very important to me when it's really cold to fish that bait really, really slow and not really get aggressive with the way you snap your rod tip. I'd like to use more like a pull and stop retrieve and allow that bait to rest as long as you can possibly stand there. Cliff, you mentioned the jig. How big of an impact is the trailer with regards to the jig that you're using? Do you want a lot of action or little action? Speak to me a little bit about that. Well, you know, I've played with all the different cutters that are out there a tremendous amount. And there's definitely times when the trailer does matter. I prefer to use a trailer that has somewhat of an action, but not an overbearing action. I really like just use a five-inch twin-tail grub. B&M makes one that I use personally. And the reason I like that bait is when I move the bait, it has a little bit of action. But at the same time, and the fish are used to seeing that. Even though the water's cold, people say you want to use a bait that has a minimal amount of action. They're used to everything they see that's moving, having some action, some fluid action to it. So I want to try that when I move, the trailer moves. But when I let the bait rest, the trailer rests as well.
oil. That's good stuff. Very interesting there. Cliff, one thing I want to ask about this as well is you talk about really dissecting an area. You know, a lot of the weekend anglers, they obviously aren't on the water every day. They're working their nine to five job, but they get to go out and fish on Saturdays and Sundays. And you talk about really dissecting a location. What's the best way to overcome time constraints when you're looking for those sweet spots, you know, those little areas that those fish are kind of in that pre-spawn stage. What's the best way to start identifying those for a weekend angler? Because they don't have the time to be out there every day and fish through so many areas slowly to have that success. Well, there's benefits to fishing when it's cold versus fishing when it's warm. And say when the water's 62 degrees, everybody knows what the fish are going to be. They're looking to spawn, they're going to be on the bank, but those fish are scattered out over vast areas, large flats and bigger areas. But when that water's cold, those fish are going to be in very recognizable locations. And what you need to find, what I like to find, is the nearest deep water adjacent to a spawning area, a spawning bay. And one of my favorite patterns is to fish little short pockets. Rather than going to a big, gigantic creek and having to find those sweet spots in that large area, you know, every little holla or bay off a lake harbors some population of fish that have migrated off the main lake, and they're going to spawn in those little small pockets. And if you pick those smaller pockets and treat each one as its own little lake, you realize pretty quickly that there might be a 15 or 20-yard stretch in there of deep water that runs up to a spawning area, and that's where your fish are going to be. And by having to fish slower, you have to also realize you're not having to fish as much area. Well, in the springtime, if I ran into a bay that's, say, 10 acres, I may have to fish the entire back five acres of it. All the stumps that are back there in boat docks and little trees that might be in the water. But those fish have spread out and scattered out. But when it's cold, I'm only going to have to fish, say, a 30-yard stretch of shoreline or a 30-yard stretch on the side of a point. You just have to find where those fish are staging. And when they're staging like that, they're going to droop up. And it actually makes it easier. And the great thing about it is it's so patternable. If you go in one day and you realize that the fish are on the inside side, of the first secondary point, typically you can run to the next bay over and they'll be in the exact same location and so on and so forth. So you have to fish slow, but you're not having to cover as much water to get around the fish you can get around. Gotcha. That's great information for those guys out there that don't have umpteen amounts of times to be out there on the water. And you talk about patterning, and, and of course, you know, we go, we're kind of moving in, you know, we're into April, so we're kind of moving in the northern part of the country, still that pre-spawn mode, but kind of that midsection and southern part of the country, we're getting right into the spawn right here. What are some of the fish behaviors and, and the stages that are moving on that you're you're going to do moving from your pre-spawn to your spawning stage? Is there some certain things? Are you just going to fish shallow water or are you looking for specific targets to find those spawning fish? Well, if you're fishing a body of water that you're familiar with, for guys that are weekend anglers or even for guys like me, you know, I'm a weekend angler too when I'm home. I don't get to fish every day and I have a lot of lakes around home. I might not get to fish, say, for two weeks because I'm gone fishing elite events or doing things for my sponsor. So I get back home and I'm going to go to where I most recently had success on the water. If I had some little pre-spawn groups of fish found, and then I'm just going to move further back into that bay or creek, and I'm going to really specifically look for the first shallow water area that offers a hard bottom, somewhat protected from the wind. Those little small knockouts in the bank that have some gravel or some chunk rock. And people a lot of times overlook wood as being a hard bottom. You know, a lot of bass, especially largemouth and, and spotted bass, will actually spawn on a piece of timber. You have to count that as hard bottom as well. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go just beyond the area that I feel like the fish were staging at, and I'll look for where they were moved to spawn, and they're going to be somewhere in between. And they're not going to leave those bays that they were staging in until they've completed their spawn cycle and started to migrate out towards their summer pattern. So the month of April is definitely a shallow water fishing month for most of the country, and uh, once the fish have completed their spawn ritual, one of my favorite things comes into play, and that's fishing for fry garters and things like that. You know, and that top water is so much fun that time of year. You can catch them on poppers and frogs and things like that. It's the first time of the year that the fish get really aggressive and fishing is uh, somewhat easier. Searching for that hard bottom and guarding the fry, does that necessarily change baits that you're using? I know you speak of top water, but does that open your arsenal up even more? Well, you know, it definitely does. When the fish are actually spawning, if I can see the fish, obviously I'm going to fish with baits that really fit into that scenario. Typically, more finesse type stuff if you're sight fishing. That kind of gets the flip of the switch on most of them. Texas rig lizards, little small tubes, things of that nature. If I can't see the fish, one of my favorite ways to fish for fish that I believe are spawning that I can't visibly see, maybe due to water clarity or wind, is with a soft stick bait. Just taking it, rigging it weightless on like a 5 odd EWG hook and making long casts to targets that I feel like may hold a fish. And sometimes that could be white spots or holes in grass or isolated stumps. Just whatever your area has to offer. Well, Cliff, thanks for being so candid with Bass Edge listeners. We are going to take a short break and we will be right back with more Bass Edge Radio. Whether you're on the road, on the water, or in your backyard, there's a super start battery when you need one at O'Reilly Auto Parts. From car batteries to batteries for your lawnmower or boat, every super start battery comes with a nationwide replacement warranty. Starting power, starting performance, and starting reliability, super start batteries available exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. We are back as we continue the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil, high-performance marine products from real oil to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit lucasoil.com. It works. Hey, Cliff, I picked up an interesting tidbit from an interview during your classic win, and that was concerning an important mentor you had growing your bass fishing knowledge. Can you elaborate on that relationship and how important it was to you? Well, you know, through my career, I've actually had several mentors, and they've all been very important to me. A gentleman by the name of Jesse Drain uh, really helped me kind of get grounded in the competitive fishing world as a career. He's the one that I originally started traveling with. He and I both from South Mississippi, and he helped me a tremendous amount with all the ins and outs of getting started. And then once I kind of got my feet wet, I, you know, out on the tour, I was really fortunate to meet and become friends with Gary Klein. And Gary and I have, you know, our friendship has become stronger and stronger as time marched on, and there's no question that, you know, no matter what walk of life you're taking, it's great to be able to talk to people that have already kind of somewhat been down that road. And, you know, having Gary as a friend has been very beneficial to me in, in many ways, and not all those ways, just related around my fishing. Uh, his friendship has, um, has helped me with a lot of things in my life, uh, but it, no doubt I have definitely changed it tremendous amount of fishing knowledge from as well. Yeah, Aaron and I were actually talking a little bit earlier about, for instance, going down to the local pond. I know you've got a pond behind your place, and, you know, sometimes you get there and, and you're fishing, and, and you might not be catching a whole lot, and there's somebody else across the way. 
being able to establish these kinds of relationships, how much does that really improve or shorten your learning span to being able to be more successful in bass fishing? Is that really a lot of what you felt like helped you in your mentorship through your early days? Well, yes and no. There's definite benefits to being able to talk to someone about techniques and patterns and what's going on. But at the same time, with my relationship with Gary, Gary and I are both very, very interested in tinkering with our stuff. We're always looking at a new technique. You know, it kind of becomes amazing at just how much fishing tackle you can accumulate to pursue a career in this sport. But all of it's effective. And having someone that's always working on something uh, keeps your mind kind of fresh. In other words, sometimes we as anglers get burnt out. If there's two of you that are very passionate about what you do if one of you's burn out the other one typically isn't and vice versa so you can kind of help push each other along right yeah that's important when you get stubbed and you, and you feel like you're not moving forward anymore you need someone to drag you across that stump so you know you just mentioned uh, about tinkering with tackle and that's something else maybe a lot of the country doesn't really know but you are a tackle tinker from what we've heard and you've got a little shop on the side there and we're really interested to know what kind of baits do you like to alter and what kind of things do you like to tinker with especially in your tackle room you know i really don't alter a lot of baits out of the package uh, i'm into the actual building my own base. The number one thing I like to alter more than anything else is my skirted baits. I'm a big fan of using, you know, skirt colors that really and truly match what I'm trying to emulate, be it a bluegill or a crawfish or a shad, whatever there is out there. I really want my bait to look as much like that as possible. And that's one thing I think we as bass fishermen have kind of overlooked. If you look at the fly fishing world and their big slogan is match the hatch, you know, we can do the exact same things with our lures with just a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. You know, I'm involved with a company called FishingSkirts.com. They have about five or 600 various colors of silicone, and I take all my V&M jigs. And a lot of my fish will fry out of the package, just factory colors. But I always have that advantage, I feel like, if needed, to alter my lures in a way that they more resemble what they need to. I love to find a spit-up crawfish in my live well if I'm catching fish on a jig because it gives me the ability to make a lure that's exactly what the fish are eating as close in color and size and shape as possible. And one of my favorite hobbies is actually airbrushing crankbaits. And I actually carve some as well. I really enjoy playing with them. I've actually never used one of my carved lures to win a tournament. I just enjoy making them. It's just a good way to relax and pass time. And I do fish with them, but at the same time, I don't really build them to gain a competitive advantage. There's a lot of people in the world that are much better at building crankbaits than I am. Uh, and I realize that. But it's a fun hobby. It's a good way to spend time in the outdoors when you can't be in the outdoors. And I mean, there's a great deal of satisfaction that comes with catching a fish on something that you built. And it really and truly not only makes you a better fisherman, but it's a very satisfying deal as well. Well, Cliff, you had mentioned, you know, as far as a, a great way to relax, and, and in a recent, uh, I believe in the April edition, Dave Preck, the editor of Bass, had written an article titled A Spiritual Journey on Yourself. That article really resonated with me because I think it paints a picture of just the drive of anglers, whether it be a weekend angler or a tournament angler. But, you know, you kind of really faced a situation there to where you had the end goal in mind, but you almost pushed yourself too far. How have you since looked at that and been able to manage your goals without it overwhelming you physically, emotionally, or mentally? Well, I think for everyone, no matter what you do in life, whatever career you have, you always have to find that balance. And that's why having hobbies like lure crafting and things of that nature is so important. You need things that you can do to relax. Everyone has to have that. Uh, None of us can work 24-7 forever. And that's what I've been trying to do. I am very, very goal-driven. I really am a true competitor. And that's the one thing I love about our sport is 
just the competitive side of it. I love the fishing side of it, but when you put the competitive side there along with it, I just love it that much more. But you have to realize that your health needs to be right up there and ask one of your goals. And that's something that most of us don't consider. Uh, when people ask us what our goals are, how many times have you ever said it's to be healthy? Yeah. We always put our we always put ourselves and our well being behind what we feel like we need to accomplish. And that's basically what I was guilty of last year. I got to a point of heat exhaustion and dehydration where I just physically could not go anymore. Uh, I had to spend a little time in intensive care. It took me about four or five months to basically get my body back on track, and it's still something that I have to really work at managing and have to really keep an eye on. But at the same time, we're very fortunate to live in an age with modern technology and the medicines that we have and all the things that are available to us. I could see where someone in my shoes could have killed themselves you know, 50 years ago very easily. You bring up very good points there, and, and ultimately taking care of yourself physically and mentally and emotionally is what helps you make better decisions on the water so those two are certainly hand in hand but you know what cliff it is time for our o'reilly auto parts the professional parts people listener question todd Payne from nicholsville kentucky asks, i have my first tournament of the year on this sunday the forecast is high of 38 70 percent chance of rain slash snow 15 miles per hour south southeast wind i was on the lake tuesday and the water was 43 and very muddy color I am very intimidated with all this together. Any tips or advice would be great. The lake has a bunch of standing timber and some rock areas as well. Again, that question is from Todd Payne. Well, if I had to launch my boat and fish that event, Todd, the approach I would have would be real simple. With the muddy water and the cloud cover and the windy conditions, even though the water temperature is in the low 40s, I would still go fish shallow. I really think that's going to be your best chance. And you really have to realize when you face a set of conditions like this, you say you're intimidated by it. But sometimes you don't have to catch a 20-pound stringer to win a bath tournament. We all have to fish events on days that are not exactly perfect conditions. And realize that going in, you may only need to catch two or three fish to consider this a successful venture. What I would do is I would take slow-moving baits. I would get in some creeks, possibly way in the back of some creeks if that's available, where the fish kind of, you you know, look for some places that maybe have a resident population of shallow fish that live in those areas year-round. And I would fish as much rock cover as I could. You know, that rock can absorb heat. It also provides crawfish and a food source for largemouth throughout the year. And I would fish those little small isolated areas of rock. If you have any area that has like a clay bank or just a small section of rock, go to those little small areas because they have a big draw from a lot of fish. If you have something isolated, a lot of times it's really easy to take the time to focus on it and pick it apart. I'd fish those little small rock areas, probably with a 12-bill crankbait that I fish very, very slowly. Maybe a double call, a lot of blades bait and some kind of a jig that I would fish very slowly on the bottom. And just spend your day fishing high percentage areas. That's the most important part of the whole deal. Well, Todd Payne, there you have it straight from your classic champ. Congratulations, Todd, for having your question chosen for this episode. Please contact us via email here at Bass Edge stating you heard your question on the show to redeem your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Bass Edge Anglers, be sure to send in your questions along with your name and hometown to Bass Edge Radio through that email address support at BassEdge.com or post them on the BassEdge Facebook page and our Twitter handle at BassEdge. When your question is chosen to be answered on the show, let us know you've heard it via email and you'll win a $100 gift card from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Cliff, I gotta say, you are probably one of the most intellectual anglers we've ever had on the show. Every answer is so articulated and, and I appreciate you being with us here at Bass Edge. 
Hey, it's been great to be here. I uh, wish we had more time, but just you know, hopefully before long I can come back and we can do another show. Absolutely, and uh, you are welcome anytime. Any closing thoughts, Cliff, before we head out of here? Well, you know, being out, it's the first of April. You know, April is one of my favorite months to get out and go fishing. And I mentioned earlier that sometimes this is the time of year that fishing gets easier. You know, those fish, when they first come off the bay, they're really aggressive. It's a great time to take some kids fishing. You know, take your kid fishing whenever the fishing is good because that's the best opportunity you have to get that kid hooked on it. Take them out there, let them feel the excitement, the thrill of maybe catching a fish on top water. You're creating the next generation of people of our sport, and that's very important. And it's something that I'm hoping to do this summer, I mean, this summer, this month, as soon as I can get back home. Yeah, Cliff, that's a great thought, getting those kids out there and, and continuing on this awesome tradition of fishing in general. Tell you what, Bass Edger, stay with us. Bass Edge Radio. We'll return in a moment. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. I am pro angler John Cruz, and you are listening to Fast Edge Radio. Aaron, you know, I mentioned in that last segment with Cliff Pace's interview that, you know, he's a super intellectual angler. You know, you can tell this angler doesn't just pick up a bait and start slinging it around. You know, when he hits the water, he's got an agenda. He's got an idea. He's got a plan of how he's going to go about and attack those fish. So um, great interview with Cliff. Really happy, again, to have him with the Bass Edge family. You know, we're getting continuous positive feedback to the O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question, and we're going to be awarding another 25 gift card this month. This particular question comes from Blaine Myers of Brighton, Michigan. Blaine's question is, I have my first BFL tournament coming up as a co-angler. Do you guys have any tips besides the usual fish a different bait than your pro and cast where he hasn't? Thank you. Again, that question from Blaine Myers of Brighton, Michigan. Well, Blaine, uh, certainly that's a good question, you know, and other than the obvious, I, I kind of agree with you. That's That's kind of the broken record that I think co-anglers are always told and you know to take that to a different level because growing up out of the back of the boat and fishing mini pro-ams and and kind of being trying to be a student really I saw that as my time to almost my college education in bass fishing but I I do want to say I I had at the the most recent tournament that I fished uh, had a co-angler in the back of my boat and his attitude was just unbelievable he was coming from a place to where he fished for fun and I think that's something that a lot of us often forget that we take on 
possibly some pressures of the tournament or somehow associate our value with based upon how much we weigh in or how many fish that we catch. But I think by just being able to clear your mind and truly enjoy and being in the present moment, you know, that's a kind of a cliche of the bass fishing industry. But that's so important because if you have that sense of, of just enjoyment and coming from that place, you're open to seeing, okay, what is the wind doing? Did it change directions? What are the birds doing? Are they diving on shad? Uh, you know, all these different things, cloud cover to, to the many factors that go into a bass reacting or feeding. So I think that's first and foremost, check your attitude. I think the other thing that is a major factor is start out with potentially downsizing. Your pro or your boater that you're fishing with for that day, chances are they've had time on the water. So they've already figured out, they've got in their mind what they're going to do and the baits that they're going to fish. Doesn't mean it's the only way by any means, but they're going to be dialed into what they're doing. So I think try and identify something that's conducive for the speed of which they are fishing, but then also potentially downsize because I do believe that in most cases, a smaller bait will produce more bites. Now that pro in the front of the boat, he may not be wanting those, you know, those 15 inch fish or, or whatever the keeper size is that they're going after because he's trying to win. However, in the back of the boat, sometimes if you can just get a limit, man, that's going to put you at the top of the leaderboard. And I think those two things are very important when you're taking residence in the back of the boat. Yeah, I think to add to that, Aaron, three key elements that I would throw out there to Blaine. The first element is to realize that you're not competing against the guy in the front or, or the angler in the front of the boat. So remember that you're competing against everybody else in the back. So don't worry too much about what he has or how many he's caught. Keep your focus on, on what you're trying to do and what your competition is all about. The second thing would be that you know a lot of people talk, and you mentioned in your question about a different bait, and, and Aaron alludes to it as well, but it's not just the different baits or where to cast, but it's the different techniques. And uh, you know, Aaron alluded to the finesse technique, but even even the different techniques of throwing a crankbait, you know, it doesn't matter if you're throwing the same bait that he is, but maybe your technique is different. He might be winding fast or working it on a seven to one gear ratio reel where you might be able to slow down a little bit more and work it on a five to one. And, and that'll catch you some fish that, that he's kind of left behind that he hasn't been able to. So that's my second tip. And, and the third one would be also something else Aaron alluded to and is my motto fishing the elite series this year. And that is keep it fun. When you're successful, you're having fun. But first, you've got to have fun to be successful. So so keep it fun, keep a good positive outlook, and uh, if you're having fun, you're going to you're going to catch fish and have a great time. So yeah. Certainly good advice there, Kurt, and I know that technique, the start-stop, whether it be on a crankbait, spinnerbait, whatever, a jig, let it soak maybe a little bit longer before you move it, those type of things definitely all produce more bites. But Blaine, thank you for your question, and be sure to contact us via email and let us know that you heard your question so we can send you a $25 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card for having your question being part of the show. Bass Edgers, thanks for continuing to submit those questions. Once again, we have filled our limit for episode 157, presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Special thanks to our guest, Bassmaster Classic champ, Cliff Pace. For Kurt Dove and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. 
You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. The Edge is presented by Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.